All right. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we did a quick restart. Uh, if you were following us just a minute, because our sound wasn't working. So anyway, uh, um, anyway, thank you for joining us. This is Lighthouse Discipleship Center, and we're doing a Bible study tonight on the New Year and the Holy Spirit. I believe this is week number four or five. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, we're going through this Bible study on the New Year and the Holy Spirit. We're going to be in chapter two tonight. Uh, which is titled Jesus is Lord and uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus is Lord and how it relates to who who we are in Christ and so uh, just so you know all of our uh, teachings are recorded uh, and, and uh, archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel uh, just uh, search Lighthouse Discipleship Center and you'll be able to find us, and then if you subscribe to us, you'll be able to find us a lot quicker uh, in future, uh, for the future. But anyway, uh, Sherry's going to read for us as we get started this, uh, this evening. I was going to say this morning. It's a little late for morning. Uh, and uh, then uh, we'll talk about it. So, uh, Sherry, when you're ready. Okay. Jesus is Lord. Salvation is God's gift to you through faith in Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. Salvation can't be earned by any amount of good works because God doesn't give eternal life based on anything you do. Jesus Christ did everything that needed to be done through his death, burial, and resurrection. You receive eternal life by faith in him alone. No one deserves to be saved because of their good works, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. God doesn't deal with you in proportion to your sin. If you miss heaven by an inch, then you've missed it by a mile. Either you're completely righteous in his sight or you're not. It's that simple. No matter how good you think you are, you've been bad enough to miss heaven. The Lord explicitly stated that he's not just a way to the Father, but the way. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6. Acts 4, 12 declares, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Either you come to God, the Father, through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, or you don't come at all. All right. Thank you. Uh, a little short section there, but a very powerful section. Uh, just for the basics, you know, talking about who we are in Christ, the new you, is really what I would consider a, believe, a new believers class. But for even us uh, uh, veterans, if I can put it that way, um, it's good to be reminded. We need to always come back to the basics. We need to come down back to the foundation of understanding our salvation and who we are in Christ. And uh, there's some very key things that Andrew said here at the very beginning, here at the beginning, first section of chapter 2. You know, uh, first of all, salvation is God's gift. You can't earn it. You know, no matter how hard you try, uh, you can't earn salvation. It's a, it's, it's a gift of God, you know. I was going to, uh, as you were reading and quoting some verses, uh, I want to go real quick to Romans chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. <clears throat> I 
Romans chapter 3, we'll, we'll, we'll approach uh, verse 23 here in just a second. I'm just trying to wait for my device to catch up with me. Um, so that's where we're going. So Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You know, in all my life I've heard these two... Cause I grew up in church. I grew up in a good. I grew up in a good Christian home. I grew up going to church, and I always heard Romans six twenty three and Romans three twenty three. Um, especially Romans three twenty three. I feel like I've heard that a lot. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I've heard that, and I heard that being said. Well, that's the gospel. Well, the gospel is good news, and there's no good news about that verse. This verse is very true, but. One thing I noticed, you know, as I grew older and I understood grammar, that there's a comma at the end of verse 23. So a comma doesn't, is not a period. It's not the end of the thought. And so I want to read verse 23, word verse 24. There's a comma at the end of verse 24 too. But we're just going to keep this simple. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, all have sinned. But we have been justified. We have been declared righteous freely by His grace. Yes, we've all sinned. But we've been justified by His grace. We've all sinned. But we have, I know I'm, I'm repeating this, but I'm repeating this for emphasis purposes. We've all sinned, yes. But we have been justified freely. <clears throat> through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption is in Christ Jesus. And I love how Andrew ends this first section. And he says, Either you come to God through the Father, through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, or you don't come at all. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to be holy. There's only one way to be justified and righteous. And it's not your good deeds. It's your faith in His grace. It's not just His grace and no faith, and it's not just faith and no grace. It's faith in His grace. The grace was there first. The grace is there. But we have to put faith in it. We have to trust it. We have to believe it. And so, we, uh, you know, I want to read this again. And I just love this, this passage in Romans 3, 23 and 24. It says, For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption as in Christ Jesus. It's free. Salvation is free. It's free for us. You know, anything that's free always costs somebody something. Even if you go to a store and something's free, well, it costs somebody something. Someone had to make it. Someone had to supply it. Whether whether the business is, is eating up the cost or you are by paying it, someone's paying for it. Someone's uh, uh, pay, paying for, for it. So it's not, nothing in one sense is, is free. Salvation is free to us. But it costs Jesus everything. He died. And he died because he loved us. But there's only one way to heaven. There's only, and heaven is, heaven is awesome. Man. I never want to water it down. But I also don't want to make it sound like heaven is the only goal. It's not. The goal is a relationship with God. At its core, it's a relationship with God. In heaven, the core, we were talking about this a little bit, I think, today or yesterday. The, uh, we didn't, I don't think we finished the conversation. But the goal of, of, of heaven is not the mansion. 
The goal of heaven is not uh, that there won't be sin and different things, even though all that's true, because that's had to do with part of our conversation. The goal of heaven is that we get to be with God for all eternity. And Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you have, a, and i got to paraphrase it, that you have a relationship with God in Jesus Christ your Lord. So, so basically what we're saying, we're, we're in chapter 2 of the book, uh, The New You and the Holy Spirit, for those who might just be joining us. And uh, we're just, we just read the first little, a little section that says Jesus is Lord. And there's a couple of powerful things that Andrew has said right off the back here. He just says, first of all, you're not saved by your good works. Now, we want to do good works, but you're saved first. And the good works are the fruit of being saved. You don't, get sa you don't do good works to get saved. No, you get saved. So being saved is the root. It's the seed. And from there you get good fruit. You know, you don't have the apple first. You have the tree. Or you have the seed to make the tree to have the apple. You don't get the apple first. Now, luckily, when Adam, Adam came on the scene, uh, God gave him some trees <laughs> that with fruit on it. You know, uh, he didn't, Adam didn't have to wait seven years till he could eat. <laughs> you know, but, and that's a totally different story. But uh, at the same point in time, you know, uh, good, we want to do good works. And, and we want to be moral, but morality is not the goal of Christianity. It's one of the byproducts. It's one of the benefits. It's one of the uh, effects of, we want to live moral. Don't get me wrong. We want to live godly. But that's not the goal in and of itself. The goal of Christianity is having a relationship with God. And through that relationship, there's many benefits. Uh, we can talk about healing, provision, different things. But, and we're not saved because we were good enough. We all deserve hell. You might be the best one on the planet. But without Christ, you are just a sinner. The thing that makes you, there's only two kinds of people. Those who have Christ and those who don't have Christ. There's only two kinds of people. Uh, your good works without Christ is nothing. It, the Bible calls it filthy rags. According to Isaiah 64 verse 6, I think it is. So good works by itself. It's, it's, it's not, I'm not boasting what I've done. I'm boasting what God's done. And, and then the other part of the, of the section that we read, there's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to get saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. Some religions and some Christian religions think that there's different paths. You know, uh, several years ago, I think I was in my 20s, I was out of Bible college, not Karis, but another Bible college I went to before, and I went with my uncle and my aunt and uncle to a pastor's meeting. Uh, they were actually police chaplains. They were police chaplains at the time in the city of Redlands, and they had to go to the police academy uh, in L.A. where they were having this chaplain meeting. And then with the chaplains, they're, they're chaplains from different religions, not just Christians. And I think it was a Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, I forget which one, but they were leading the discussion that, that day. And they take turns uh, or whatnot, who gets to lead in a little devotional. And one of the things I guess this preacher was saying, that there's many paths to God. Well, no, there's one path. That's Jesus. Uh, there's only one path to Jesus. Now, we might have different kinds of churches and whatever, in the sense that we might have a different flavor. Some are more contemporary, some are more traditional. I'm not worried about all that. And I get that, you know. Uh, 
I mean, even even culturally, there's in the way churches people do churches in Mexico or the Philippines or Africa or Europe or here may be a little different based on the culture. The songs may be different. The, the, the gener songs have changed from generation to generation. I don't care. So, I mean, I have my pre my preference of style of songs, but I don't, really don't. Doctrinally, theologically, I don't care what style the song, whether it's really upbeat or whether it's really monotone or somewhere in the middle. But, but I do care about the lyrics because there's doctrine in the lyrics. The lyrics are very important to me. There's been a lot of songs out there. I think they're beautiful songs as far as how they sound, but the lyrics are wrong, and I won't sing them. I won't allow them in our church. Uh, there's some songs I like everything but one phrase. Now, if I had a worship leader, we could sing that song and we could just change that phrase, <laughs> you know. But uh, uh, when we do recorded music, I, I don't have that luxury, and uh, and, I, and and I'm not trying to attack any songwriter or whatever. It's a beautiful song, but if the, if the lyrics is wrong doctrine, I don't want people singing that over and over and reciting that over and over and getting the thinker. <laughs> I don't want that. Anyway, I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but there, so, so so there's we're saved by Christ. And Christ is the only way that we get saved. He is Lord. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're barely getting into this chapter. But everything to share? Okay. All right. I think that's my... I started uh, three things, but I think I I got everything I wanted to say in that section. So we're going to go ahead and read the next section. God in the flesh. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all of these have I observed from my youth. Mark ten seventeen through 20 a rich young ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted to know how he could earn his way into heaven. Notice how the young man called Jesus good master at first. When the Lord countered him by saying that only God is good, he dropped good and referred to Jesus simply as master. By this we know he didn't see Jesus as God. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He wasn't just a good man who gave us a tremendous example of humility and love. He was literally God incarnate. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 Either Jesus was a deceiver, or he is who he says who he said he was. No man who claimed to be God, but actually wasn't, should ever be considered good. However, there's more verifiable historical evidence proving that Jesus Christ lived, died, and was resurrected than that Julius Caesar ever lived. Every cult and religion on earth acknowledges Jesus' existence, but they stop short of calling him good. They'll grant him the status of a prophet or inspired teacher sent from God, but not deity himself. 
The rich young ruler did the same by dropping good and simply calling Jesus master. He just couldn't bring himself to believe that this man standing before him was God. Apart from Jesus being the son of God, there's no way to the father. Everything hinges on his divinity. The Lord himself stated that all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son honoreth not the father which sent him. John 5, 23. If Jesus wasn't God, then his life wasn't worth more than any other man's life, and he couldn't have atoned for the whole human race. However, since he was God in the flesh, his life was worth more than all mankind, making his sacrifice eternally sufficient for all. Amen. Amen. You know, this, I get a lot of these things we're talking about. We can take hours and, and, and it's worth so at and the right time to talk about all these. But it's important to know that God, Jesus is the Son of God and he is the Son of Man. Both of those things have to be true. If it weren't, his sacrifice on the cross would be meaningless and we would still be in our sins and we would all go to hell. We need to know that. Uh, and and uh, there's some religions and there's some Christians Christian religions who don't acknowledge that Jesus is God. Yes, he laid that, a lot of that down he, uh, to, to go to the cross, but he's still the Son of God. If he wasn't, then uh, his sacrifice would not have been uh, accepted. It would not have been uh, sufficient. Uh, he had to be fully God and he had to be fully man. And I know some of our natural minds don't understand that completely. They don't understand the divinity, uh, you know, uh, but he was conceived. And that's why, you know, we, I had someone asked me a few years ago, what's so significant about a virgin, virgin birth? You know, why did, it why, why did it have to be a virgin birth? Again, I mean, I don't want to be too graphic or whatever, the simple for the, the birds and the bees, but the male carries the seed, not the female. The seed originates in the male. And so Jesus was not born from Joseph, and um, by Mary being conceived with Joseph, who she was engaged to, uh, it was G Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. There's, we all come naturally speaking from Adam. I mean, I know there's different races and whatnot, but and and, and we can that's a whole enough study on itself. But we all came from Adam. There's two Adams: the first Adam, which is Adam. And the second Adam, which is, or the last Adam, which is Christ. Jesus was born again, born of, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. The seed came in from his father. That's how, you know, and he was fully God and he was fully man. And that's very important. And one of the reasons why we bring it out too in this study is that those who, and John talks about this a lot in First John, in the book of First John, also in the book of Second John. He talks about this. But those who don't don't admit that Jesus is fully God or his divinity, and they don't they don't believe that he came in the flesh and or, or whatever, it's a spirit of Antichrist. You know, the, the word Antichrist uh, alarms people. But the word Antichristo in the Greek means against or instead of Christ. It's not acknowledging Christ. Christ our Messiah had to be fully God, fully man. Fully God, and there's many aspects, I'm not going to bring all these down. Fully God, he, he, his seed is God. 
His nature is God. But he laid that down he, 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 to become a man. And, uh, and he had to become a man. He had to be fully God so that his sacrifice would be acceptable. <clears throat> I know a lot of us don't uh, understand that completely, uh, uh, but uh, we, need, we, we need to acknowledge that. It's very important that we, we acknowledge the divinity of God. Uh, do you have anything you want to share, Sherry? No, just whenever anyone remotely talks about eternal life, I always go to John 17, where Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To me, that's it in a nutshell. And, you know, Dave referred to a conversation that he and I had um, about heaven. But the biggest thing is a relationship with God. And there's, to me, there's not enough words how wonderful and amazing that is. You know, it says in First John chapter 5, verse 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who believe, who loves him, who, who begot also, also loves him, who is begotten of him. You know, especially that first part of verse, whoever believes that Jesus is the, is the Christ is born of God. Uh, long story short, but we went on a cruise a couple of years ago. And a nice, on the cruise, uh, uh, they allow you on a volunteer basis to have Bible studies. And if you do, if you uh, connect with the ship right, you, uh, you can actually uh, reserve a room and they'll allow you to have Bible studies and they'll even put it on the, on the planner, a, a pattern that goes around all the ships so they, it can be announced to the other guests on the ship that there's a Bible study. And, uh, and being a pastor, a lot of times if I'm there first, I can lead the Bible study. And, uh, and I've done that many times. But uh, at the same point in time, we, at this one particular cruise, we had a nice room full of uh, people, Christians. And they come from different backgrounds, different denominations, whatnot. And we're not pastoring them. We're just, we're just, we're just connecting as Christians. But this one particular uh, time, this one lady came in and she was very hostile and disruptive and rude and other other things I could describe her uh, but anyway and she was really kind of demanding and, 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 and uh, arrogant and that she was trying to uh, steer the conversation the, 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 the Bible study and anyway uh, and you could tell and most other people now it's a Bible study and we love getting together Christians but these people are also on vacation. <laughs> They don't, and it became, and it started becoming tense in the room because she was sharing some things that were totally not Bible, not the weird things about UFOs and different things of that nature, just weird doctrine, whatnot. I mean, it wasn't even doctrine, just weirdness. Anyway, uh, finally, uh, there was another pastor in the ship too, and uh, he finally just asked her, "Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God?" And she said, "No." And that just kind of answered us for us because those who don't believe in he's the son of God. Those who don't believe he's the Christ. You know, they're, they're not believers. And, and we, we, I mean, we already, we already sensed by her the way she conducted herself and what she was saying that she was not a believer. Um, and, and she believed something, but it wasn't Christ. 
it wasn't the gospel. Um, anyway, I just bring that out. Uh, you know, my heart breaks breaks for her. She needs to be saved. She got into some weird stuff, but it's it's a very key thing, and we could spend more hours. And I wish we had the time, but we need to. Uh, uh, but but we need to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, and He is the Son of Man. Otherwise, uh, going to the cross would not have been sufficient. We might not understand that all completely uh, from a natural mindset, but we need to understand it enough that we can believe it, that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, anything else? On that? Um, I, I haven't looked up the, the verse, but Dave, Dave spurred a thought. Uh, I was roughly around nine years old when um, I came to the Lord and I shared with my dad not too long ago, um, gosh, maybe it was last year on his birthday, I don't remember, but I just felt like sharing um, what led me to believe in Jesus. And I remember as a child, it was during a Bible study that I understood and got who Jesus was, that he was the Son of God. And um, there's a verse where Jesus approaches his disciples and he asks, uh, who do people say I am? And some of them, uh, and they said, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say this, that, and the other thing. And Jesus replies to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, well, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Because um, Jesus' response is, you know, if I'm basically, I'm uh, uh, saying it in, in, in my words, not the word for word, but Jesus is like, you know, all these people ha have left, you know, why don't you? And Peter's like, not only are you the Christ, the Son of God, but only you have eternal, the words. eternal words of life and you know as a child I maybe I couldn't have responded in the words of, of, of Peter in, in such succinct wording but that's what drew me to Jesus was knowing who he is and I just I've never been the same uh, just knowing that he is the Christ he is the son of God and he's the only one with words of life mm -hmm. Okay, that's, uh, uh, I mean, uh, let me just think back on that. And Jesus said that this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal that Jesus is the Christ to you. And that's, a, I don't want to open a can of worms with that either, but uh, it's, it's just one reason why it's so essential, because it's been revealed to you by God. And, uh, uh, and so, yeah, because that can only be revealed to you by the Spirit of God. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead and read the next section. Uh, the Great Exchange. Christianity is the only faith with a Savior. All other faiths depend on good works to achieve various degrees of holiness. The holier you live, the better chance you have of being accepted by that God. In essence, you become your own Savior because salvation is based on your own performance. God knew you couldn't live a perfect life. Instead of demanding that you do everything right, he came and took your sin into his own body 
at the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 He suffered the punishment you deserved to give you salvation as a gift. Praise God for the Savior. Jesus took your sin so you could become righteous. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 <coughs> God put his judgment for sin upon Christ at the cross so that you wouldn't have to bear it. Then when you believed and received the Lord, he placed Jesus' righteousness on you. This is the great exchange. When this exchange takes place, your spirit is immediately recreated with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are then able to fellowship with God spirit to spirit. You are then able to fellowship I'm sorry, I just read. You are then able to fellowship with God spirit to spirit. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4:24. Even when you sin, your born again spirit cannot be contaminated because of the impenetrable seal of Christ's own spirit, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1.13 Since the new nature of your spirit is always holy, you can approach God at any time and in any condition. Now that's good news. The Christian life is both born in faith and sustained by faith. You'll just end up condemning yourself if you try to live it by your own works. As long as you're in your physical body, there'll be times when you fall short. If you're not careful, you'll beat yourself up trying to live right and wonder how God could ever love someone who messes up as much as you. God's love doesn't change when you make mistakes. If he went to the cross for you as a sinner, how much more does he love you now that you're a Christian? But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Romans 5, 8 through 10. He loves you more now as a Christian, even when you sin, than he did when you were lost. Don't ever let your failures separate you from God's unfailing love. All right. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, I said the way because I wanted to get my little lammy here. Hopefully you can see it. Um, but I just, uh, I love this because what we're talking about right now, this especially this section, The Great Exchange. It's probably one of my favorite things to talk about. And I could talk hours and hours and hours on this, but I gotta, I gotta keep it short and simple, hopefully. But, you know, in, in the Levitical law, I'm not gonna read all of Leviticus, but in the first five chapters, there's five offerings. It talks about five different offerings. In chapter one, it talks about the burn offering. In chapter four, it talks about the sin offering, and uh, basically, and and we, I think most of us know that the, the lamb, when they chose a lamb in the Old Testament, they had to find a lamb that was without spot or without wrinkle. The 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 
that a spot without wrinkle represented uh, Jesus. And Jesus is the Lamb. John the Baptist says, uh, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. It also talks about in Scripture how Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. It's a, we see in the book of Revelation chapter 5 that uh, John saw Jesus stand, uh, Jesus like a lamb, uh, a, a lamb that was slain standing on the throne of God. And so, anyway, we got the burnt offering and the sin offering. The sin offering basically was when a, when a, when someone brought a lamb, they brought it to the priests in the Old Testament. The man would put their hands on the lamb, and the the the, 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 the sin offering represented the, the the sin of the the man being exchanged, being get, put on the lamb, and the lamb was slaughtered or crucified. Where the burnt offering was almost the same thing, but in reverse, is that instead as a man. But laid their hands on the lamb, and the, his sin that went to the lamb. The unblemishedness of the lamb was went to the to 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 the man. It was exchange taking place. So my favorite verse is Second Corinthians five twenty one, and it says, "He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him." There was an exchange taking place. He be, he became our sin, and was crucified, and. Uh, we became the righteousness of God in Him. Uh, anyway, I could I could I could study that out a lot more more thoroughly. But there was exchange taking place. Jesus became our sin and crucified it. He became the sin. He became not only the sin, but He also took the penalty, which was death, and He gave us His righteousness. It was an exchange that took place. We didn't become righteous because we were good enough. We were righteous because he gave us his gift of righteousness. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 2, 3, and 4, uh, and, 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 and following. Um, but it was a great exchange that took place. Uh, and it's, it's awesome. We received his righteousness as a gift, and he took our sin for us, and he crucified it. And that's just a major, major cornerstone of, of Scripture. And um, uh, that's really the new covenant, you know. And the the sin offering, said, you know, it, it was it was an offering, but the burnt offering says it was a sweet aroma. There's no there's no sweet aroma about our sin, but there is a sweet aroma about the righteousness of God. And the the sin offering, you know, that, that was done uh, once a year, but the burnt offering was done twice a day. Every morning and every evening there was a burnt offering. Every time they went to war, before they went to war, they were supposed to do a burnt offering. And there's some other times where a burnt offering. God wanted them to be reminded every day before they started their day and as they ended their day, twice a year, every day of the year, they were supposed to be reminded of his gift of righteousness. We need to be reminded. Because we go through this world, we make, we mess up, we do failures, we stumble, we fall. That doesn't make it right. But we need to be reminded who we are so we can, one, so we can stop messing up. You won't stop messing up until you change the way you think. You need to identify with his righteousness because that is who you are. It says, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
That's who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That word become, the word become is used twice, but that second word become in 2 Corinthians 5.21 is, uh, if you study out in the Greek, it means it's where you get the word gene. And it means to be born of. We are born of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're, we're talking about being born again. We are in Christ because he took our sin. We have been born of the righteousness of God. You know the word righteousness? It's used 512 times in scripture. And it's a noun. It's not a verb. All my life I thought the word righteousness was, was a verb. A verb is an action. But a noun is a person, place, or thing. It's an object. Our righteousness is who we are. It's not what we do. And we are righteous not because of what we do. We are righteous because of what he did. Now we want to live righteously. A verb form of the word. But we live righteously because we are righteous in Christ. We're not righteous outside of Christ. We are righteous in Christ. You take Christ out of the picture, we are not righteous. There is a self-righteousness, and the Bible calls that filthy rags. And uh, Paul, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 10. We don't want our unrighteousness. We want his righteousness. And his righteousness is without spot or wrinkle. And, and uh, the word righteousness and the word justification are the exact same Greek word. It goes back to the, the verse I just read. I don't think I have it on my iPad anymore. But we have been justified freely by the, His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've been justified. That word justified is the same word for righteousness in the Greek. We have been justified. We have been declared righteous freely. Free to us. But it cost Him everything. He was, he was crucified freely by by his grace because what he gave us his righteousness is grace that we've been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus the redemption is not in you the redemption is not in your good works the redemption is in christ jesus um there's another verse i was just thinking oh it says in uh first corinthians 15 verse 34 i think it is the reference it says, away to righteousness and sin not. It doesn't say sin not to become righteous. It says, awake, come to the revelation that you are righteous and you will sin not. We've seen people in this church and through this ministry and even other ministries, uh, when they understand righteousness, they get set free from all kinds of addictions. We've seen people get set free from drugs. We've seen people get set free from homosexuality. We've seen people get set free from pornography and some other things when they finally understood that they were the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, a lot of people think grace, when people misunderstand grace, that they think it's just a license of sin. I didn't understand it through grace, even though it is grace. I understand it through when I understood righteousness. Because it says a way to righteousness and sin not. Righteousness is who I am. And it's not my righteousness, it's his righteousness. But he gave it to me through the cross. He, be, he became sin that I might become the righteous God in him. And when I realized who I was in Christ, it set me free. Why did it set me free? Because I realized Christ in me was righteous. And Christ in me 
It didn't have the problems and sins I had. And so if Christ didn't have these addictions and problems, why do I have them? And so it began to set me free. You know, I use this comparison a lot. You know, we're getting close to the Christmas season where we're going to get a Christmas tree. Not sure where we're going to put it in this house yet. We haven't decided. But at the same point in time, uh, you know, I love Christmas trees. But a Christmas tree is really uh, a fake. Um, in a sense, the tree itself is real if you, if you get a live tree. But the, uh, a lot of times if you get an artificial tree, it's, well, it's artificial. It's fake. But you, whether you get a live tree or or uh, artificial tree, you will decorate it. You will adorn it with with objects that are not its own. You know, a a tree, a, a evergreen tree, does not grow lights. It does not grow tinsel, a tinsel. It doesn't grow. Uh, it grows pine cones if you put those on there. But it doesn't grow. Uh, we put pine cones and birds and and some other things, uh, some globes. You know, a, a, a pine tree out in the wild doesn't grow little globes. And you, you decorate it with things that are not its nature. Some people put popcorn. Some people do uh, other things on there. But you adorn it with something that's not its nature. But a fruit tree, an apple tree, orange tree, peach tree, they grow real fruit from within. If we understand that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and He becomes our Lord, and on Sunday morning we're going through the seven names of God, and in a couple of weeks we'll be talking about Jehovah Tanisku, which is the Lord is my my righteousness, and so it's one of the redemptive names of God. But when we understand our righteousness, and we understand that we're the righteous God in Christ Jesus, we can start living righteously, godly from within, versus us trying to do it do good works from without doing good you know putting putting uh uh you know we even tonight put apples uh not real apples but artificial apples on an apple tree just because you put an artificial apple on a on a pine tree doesn't make it an apple tree it's still it's still a pine tree or our artificial tree uh, an apple tree will grow fruit from within you know, so many people are trying to do good works through other religions from without. And they're not doing it from within. And Andrew makes a statement here, I forget exactly how he said it. But when we are trusting what we're doing versus what Christ did, we are in a sense making a God to ourselves. We are exalting what we're doing over what Christ did. And we are worshiping, and, and, and in one sense, we're kind of worshiping what we're doing. We're, we're, we're taking all the credit. Uh, you know, we're, we're trusting what we've done. We want to do good works. We want to live godly and righteous and holy. But it comes from within. It comes because of Christ from within. It, either we're living supernaturally, which I'm talking about, because supernatural is more normal than the natural. It's the norm. The supernatural created everything. The supernatural God created everything. The supernatural force, the supernatural realm is more real than the natural. To us, that doesn't make sense. It's backwards, but it, I know we're backwards. <laughs> and so we were created. We were not God. God, The supernatural God created us. And we are born again supernaturally. And um, I forget my point I was making, but uh, we want, uh, either we're living supernaturally or we're li and Andrew says this in another another context. Either we're living supernaturally or we're living superficially. 
Either God, either God is doing a work in us, or we're doing a work without God. And so we're either doing it supernaturally through God in us, or we're living this life superficially, like a Christmas tree. It's superficial. I love Christmas trees. Don't get me wrong. I'm just using it for an illustration. But, uh, you know, it, I don't want to live life superficially. All other religions, even some Christian religions, are superficial. They're fake. They're phony. They're empty. The Bible, uh, Bible says, Jesus said, by your traditions you make the word of God of no effect. I don't want to live a life that the word of God is no effect. I want to live supernaturally. I want to live, uh, you know, we should be, Jesus said we should do greater works than he did because he goes to the Father and we have the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about in the latter part of this book. You know, no other age before Christ or during Christ had the finished work of the cross and no other age had, had the baptism or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But we are living in the church age where we have the finished work of the cross and we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and we should be seeing more supernatural things where the Spirit of the Lord is upon us and he has anointed us to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. We should be seeing the supernatural on a regular basis. Why don't we? Because we don't know who we are and we don't operate in the Holy Spirit like we should. If we understood what we're trying to teach and we understood the power of the Holy Spirit, which we'll get to, uh, we should be moving, moving supernaturally. Andrew and his ministry is seeing the dead people raised. He's seeing people healed every day through his ministry by the thousands. And until you're getting better results than Andrew, and so we need to be seeing it more even in our lives and ministry, but until you're getting better results than I consider listening. I mean, he's seeing people healed. I mean, we had a video not too long ago. It was at one of his conferences, and right in the front stage, someone got healed from blind eyes. I've seen someone get healed from blind eyes when I was in high school. But, uh, you know, it just, it, it just, wow. I mean, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's real stuff. It's not superficial. It's not make-believe. It's not, it's not a con. It's real stuff. And uh, it's, it's real. It's powerful. But where does it start? See, righteousness, that's why I like it. It, it says in uh, Psalm 89 that righteousness and truth is the foundation of the throne. It says in Hebrews chapter 5 that the, 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 the uh, righteousness is the elementary teachings. It's elementary, really, what we're teaching. But just because it's elementary doesn't mean it's not important. You know, when you go to school, you go to elementary school before you go to junior high and high school. If you don't understand the basis of math, if you don't, and you don't understand the basis of of writing and reading, which you learn in elementary school, you won't be able to take algebra. You won't be able to take higher education in junior high, high school, and college. The elementary teachings are foundational. You can't skip that. You can't just start learning calculus and science and history unless you learn how to read and write and math, which you learn in elementary school. You need to understand, you know, the Bible says that all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped <coughs> for every good work. These scriptures 
point to Jesus. And these scriptures train us, doctrine, teachings, reproving us, correctness, us, training us in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to be equipped for every good work. And every good work, and we're talking about good works briefly, and I want to do good works. But you need to be trained in righteousness so you can do <coughs> good works. It, some of you might say, but I do some good works. I do charity. I do this. Are you doing it in your strength? Or are you doing it through God? You know, you know, I'm not trying to bash or, or uh, speak down to those who are doing good stuff. But I'm not going to exalt you. I'm going to exalt Christ. I'm not going to exalt me. Uh, if you're saying you can live a godly life without God and Christ, then in a sense, that's Antichrist. Because that's against or instead of Christ. You, and, and even if you do good works without Christ, when you stand before the good great white throne, if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. Your good works without Christ is not going to get you to heaven. There's only one way to God. And who wants to be the best or the most godly sinner in hell? It, it, your good works without Christ is not enough. And it's not the goal. The goal is a relationship with God. Yes, heaven is beautiful, but that's not the goal too. The goal about heaven is that you get to be <coughs> with God forever. Yes, there won't be pain, sorrow, and all these things. It's going to be blissful. Yes, you'll get a mansion. But that's not the goal. <coughs> the goal is God. The goal and righteousness is, by, and by definition, is a relationship with God. It's a right relationship with God. You can't have a right relationship with God without Christ. It doesn't exist. You can know about God. I, can, I don't just know about Sherry. I have a relationship with her. I have a relationship with her on a different level than any of you will have. But, you know... But the goal of getting married was not just a status. It's not a tax status. We get now we get a little extra write-off because now we're married, uh, at least in America. But uh, you know, um, uh, but it's so we can enjoy life together and all that, all the benefits that come out of that. And and, and there's so there's so many tangents I can go. I'm thinking they're just coming left and right in my head. But the righteousness is the foundation. And this gift of righteousness, uh, I mean, there's just so much. There's authority. And when you understand righteousness, we can start talking about spiritual authority and different things. You know, uh, uh, that's why, that's how Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead, because he had authority. How did he have authority? Because he was righteous. And, uh, uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how to explain all that right now. Anything you want to share? Um, just, I mean, I... I always go back to the the um, in the the last uh, little bit that Andrew talks about how much God loves us. You know, it just amazes me that Jesus went to the cross for us while we were yet sinners. He loved God loved us so much, and um, even Paul in in Ephesians three, I believe it is. Praise that we would know how much God loves us because God's love is so immeasurable. And Paul's prayer is that we would know the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of God's love for us. And 
you know what, that's what we pray for you guys, that you would know not only that Christ is the only way to God, uh, but that he loved you so much to lay down his life for you. There was, uh, Sherry read a, another little section when I got up to go get the bag, and we'll probably pick up on this a little bit more next week, but I just want to highlight something. Let me just read this first little paragraph. It's on page 19 if you're following the book. But it's just, the Christian life is both, is both born in faith and sustained by faith. You'll just end up condemning yourself if you try to live it by your own works. As long as you are in a physical... Uh, as long as you're in your physical body, there'll be times when you'll fall short. If you're not careful, you'll beat yourself up trying to live right and wonder how God could ever love someone who messes up as much as you do. You will beat yourself up continually if you don't live by faith. You know, the Bible says in Galatians 5.8 that faith works by love. Our faith can't work. If we don't understand his love. And his love is unconditional. We can't earn his love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Um, God loved you when you were a sinner. God loved you and died for you when you wanted nothing to do with him. You didn't even know about him. God loved you. You didn't. You never earned it. He made the, fir he made the first move. You and we love because he first loved us. He made the first move. He did it first. You, can, you, you can't say you did it first because he made the move 2,000 years ago. And you're not 2,000 years old. Okay? He made it first. You know, and if you think, it, if, don't exalt yourself over Christ, but, you know, but, uh, but, uh, You'll beat yourself up if you don't live by faith. It's, it's, it's faith through grace. And it's grace. You can't earn it. Now his grace is not a license to sin. It says in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 that his grace will teach you. His grace will teach you to deny ungodliness. Those who think that grace is just a license to sin haven't been taught by grace. They don't even understand grace. I'm not trying to put them down. But anyone who says that grace is just a license to sin, or anyone who says that we just teach in this church that we're just giving people a license to sin, don't understand grace. Because that's not grace. Yes, I understand there's people who teach that. We had a pastor one time who taught something like that. Uh, he wasn't our pastor very long. But at the same point, point in time, uh, we, we know people like that. But that, those people who teach that, they don't understand grace. Because grace will teach you to deny ungodliness. That's not grace. Grace gives you the power to not live in sin, not the power to live in sin. Because those who, that's not what grace is. But this grace, this powerful, awesome, amazing grace will set you free from sin. And it will teach you. It's a teacher. When you're taught something, you didn't just come out of the womb knowing math. You didn't come out of the womb knowing how to write and read and, and talk and social skills. You didn't come out of the womb knowing how to tie your shoes and brush your teeth. You had to learn those things. You had to learn how to walk. You had to learn how to, to crawl. You had to learn how to talk. You had to learn how to do everything you know how to you do. You had to learn how to do it. You even had to learn how to get potty trained. 
I mean, I'm not trying to be graphic. You have to learn everything. Grace will teach you as a newborn believer. His grace will teach you how to live a godly life. His grace will teach you how to live a victorious life. His grace will teach you. That's why he called us to make us disciples. He didn't call to make us converts. If all we're going to be converts, we might as well die when we get saved. No, we are being discipled so we can walk in a life of faith. And when we walk a life of faith and we get discipled, we can go make more disciples of other people. We might not all be called pastors and teachers, but we all influence people. We can influence people for the good. We can influence people for the bad. But we all influence people. And those who know that we're Christians, family, friends, even enemies, know that we're friends, they will watch you. They will watch your life. Just like they watched Jesus and the disciples, they will try to find a fault in your life. And they're going to find faults. But may, the more you walk with God, the less I think the less faults they will find. You know, um, I think one of the next Bible studies we're going to do soon is called Effortless Change. And uh, the change is done almost effortless. If you will spend time in God's Word, if you will spend time with a relationship with God, you will find your life changing almost more accidentally than it did on purpose. If you try to change your life on your own, with your own strength, with your own wisdom, with your own willpower, you can't do it completely as you could if you were just walking with God, walking in the Spirit. It says in Galatians 5.16, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you will walk with God, you will live a life, a godly, good life from the inside out more supernaturally, more automatically than you ever would on purpose. I'm not saying we're, we're, any of us are perfect in that regard, but... Uh, but and we will, when we walk with God, when we learn how to be disciples, when we learn how to walk with Him, we will live godlier. We will be able to live a holier life when He is living His life in and through us more than we were trying to do it on our own without Him. Paul said it this way, and I close with this, but Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by the faith of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He lived his life with Christ, with the revelation that Christ was living on the inside of him. And the life he lived, he lived by the faith of God who loved him. Love, faith works by love and gave himself for him. Paul had a revelation. It's no longer him who lived, but it's Christ who lives in him. That's what we're talking about to me and you. It's no longer, if you're born again, it's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. You were crucified with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you were raised together with him in the newness of life. The Bible talks about that in Romans chapter 6 and other, other passages of scripture as well. You were crucified with Christ. And we, you, were, you, were, you were buried with him. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we get to talking about baptism. But, uh, um, and, but, uh, and then you were also raised with him. Your old man is dead. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have become new. But your spirit is born again. There's been an exchange taking place. Uh, but you live this life. And we're beginning to, more importantly, when we get to the last part of the verse, um, this book, 
I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will help you. You're born again. Great. That's the greatest miracle of all. There's nothing more important than that. But at the same point in time, the Holy Spirit, which is, I believe, the second best teaching, is that that will help us live this life. You know, we got a, a, a car recently. Great. But we got to put gas in it. We got to maintain it. We need we need the power, and the, the battery, and all the, the instruments to work. But well, the Holy Spirit is the power to live this life. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The Holy Spirit will help you live this life. He'll be your teacher. He'll be your guide. He'll be your helper. He'll be your counselor, your advocate. He'll be your counselor. You can get counsel. You can get wisdom. You can get direction. You can be led by the Spirit, or you can be led by the by your flesh. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, if you're led by, uh, to be naturally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To, to live a natural life just by your natural reasoning, the Bible says it's not just, it just lead to death, it is death. It's the definition of death. But to, to live by the Spirit is life. I know we do some natural things. We brush our teeth, we go to work, and we do different things, and those are all natural. But we can do those things even being led by His Spirit. You know? Uh, and it's, it's just a better way to live. You know, when I do my work, God reminds I mean, the Holy Spirit knows how to do things. I remember my background was accounting, bookkeeping. And sometimes I couldn't, I couldn't balance the, 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 the books for somebody. And I couldn't figure out where I was off when I'm missing something or multiple things. But, and sometimes I get frustrated because I kept going over the numbers and numbers and somehow it wasn't adding up. I couldn't see what I was missing. So sometimes I just pray in the Spirit. And God would tell me where the problem was. There was one time I lost my keys. <laughs> uh, my phone. It was my phone. I was driving. I had my phone when I started the journey. I didn't have my phone at the moment. And, uh, I was, and I, so I prayed in the Spirit. God told me where, where the phone was. I had run out of gas and... And I got out of the car to push the car, and in the meantime, I had dropped my phone in the middle of an intersection. Well, when the Holy Spirit told me where my phone was, it was just, it's right there in the middle of the intersection on Grand and I forget the other street. So I had to go back. I don't know what's more embarrassing, running out of gas, pushing the car, or stopping in the middle of the street to pick up your phone. And I picked it up. It was a little warm because it was a hot day, but the phone was still working. And God, the Holy Spirit told me where my phone was. I never would have thought of going to the middle of an intersection to go get my phone. And uh, there's other things that God has told us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your guide. And we'll talk about more of that when we go forward. Anything we'll share? I know we're out of time. No, we're good. Lord, we just thank you. Lord, I know I've shared a lot of different things. And uh, Lord, I, I, I pray that we understand this. Uh, at least enough for the seed that your word can sprout and germinate and become a good tree, a good life. Lord, uh, help us understand it so we can be led by your spirit. We can, Lord, uh, I just bless us as we go, go about the rest of our week. Uh, bless this nation as we're coming upon an election very soon here. And Lord, I just thank you, uh, Lord, for this country. I thank you for our president and our leaders. And we just speak your grace over all of it. And Lord, uh, I be with us as we go. I see blessing over every family, over all of our health and our finances, everything that concerns us. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen and amen.
God bless you guys. We'll see you on Sunday. We'll be live streaming at 11.15 a.m. We'll be talking about God Revealed. And then Sunday night at 7, uh, 6 p.m., excuse me, we'll find the true nature of God. All right. God bless. Have a good week.